right, we're talking about the unseen on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Solvang, home of the fantastic pancake and beer combination. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest of details of 1980s The Unseen in the hopes that a TV crew's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we might make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust that if I want to get across to her that she's never going to play football again, she will at least do it in front of a bunch of nine-year-olds playing football. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I, I am good. I am. Uh, I've got my uh, Solvang Danish Days T-shirt on. <laughs> yes, it's huge. Very um, excited. Very excited. Um, I was in Solvang uh, for their Christmas parade this year, and it was pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, luckily, I had booked a hotel room in advance. Um, but other than that, it was the exact same journey that these women are on. I went. I ended up trapped in a basement with the unseen, and I escaped just mud covered at the end of it. And yeah, your estranged your estranged boyfriend showed up, fell down, <laughs> did absolutely nothing to save your life. Yes. <laughs> I think one of the best moments in the movie, honestly. <laughs> you think it's just prototypical that he would save the day, but Chekhov's knee gets in the way. But wait, we'll get to it. Don't worry, folks. Uh, but before, I don't want to frighten you, Gina, but uh, we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. Now, of course, you know him as the preeminent James Bond watch expert of America. And of course, as the editor in chief of uh, some horror magazine called, oh, yeah, Fangoria. Of course, he is a returning champion here at Kill by Kill, the one the only Phil Nobile Jr. How are you doing today, Phil? Patrick, thank you for having me back, and thanks for giving this movie its uh, its time in the sun. You know, I'm a I'm an evangelist. I'm an advocate. I like to bang the drum. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and you're doing it. This is the first podcast I've ever heard that's going to give an hour to the unseen, and for that, <laughs> you, sir, and Gina are trailblazers. That's right. <laughs> to to a to an audience hungry for unseen content finally they will have their moment in the sun we're going to talk about it all so phil this is a question i i do very much want to ask you as the the sort of preacher on the mount as Mm. of the unseen yes what was your first exposure to this movie friends have you heard the good news (laughs) (laughs) my unseen origin story is uh girthy no it's it's um Here's the deal. My, my older sister's husband, you know, and by say older, she was eight years older than me. So mm-hmm. this guy was like maybe all of, you know, 23 when I was, you know, 12 or, or whatever, whenever I was, when I saw this. Thing. But he was a man in the world. He was a well, man was and, a he, boy. and I was staying over and, and he said, oh, and they had cable. And so like mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I didn't have cable. When you stayed over somebody's house with cable, very cool, very exciting. Sure. What's on cable? And, yeah. um, and he goes, oh, the Unseen is on tonight on the movie channel. You have to watch The Unseen. And I was like, okay, I, yes, I do. And I watched it and it 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 left a mark on me. Sure. Uh, you know, as we'll get into, this movie is is uh singing a song that no other movie is singing, I think. Yeah. It's it's a it's a slasher, but it's so much more and it's so much else. 
And um, it just burned itself into my brain so much so that like, I go ahead another 10 years forward. I've been trying to find it on VHS as a 22 year old. Mm -hmm. And I pull into a a West coast video and there, and I find it and it's for rental. And they and I say, Hey, this is just a catalog title. It's beat to hell. The box is falling apart. Can I buy this? No, we can't do that. Uh Um, And so this is a West coast video. They're gone now. So I'm safe in telling you that I stole that tape. (laughs) I stole that tape. I will send you a picture of it if you want, because I still have that tape. It, it was like a weird white whale for me through a lot of my teen years because it played on movie channel and then I never could find it. So when I found this Mm -hmm. tape, I just, uh, you know, I, 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 I surrendered to my impulse. Um, and then I, you know, I, I would show that tape to anybody that I could get to sit down and watch it and, uh, you know, jump forward to this golden age of digital, uh, restoration. And, and it's suddenly it's, it's on DVD and it's on Blu-ray and I can't, I kind of can't believe that, uh, you know, uh, 12 year old me wouldn't have imagined that I had some platform called birth movies, death once upon a time where I could just write at length about this movie and try to evangelize for it. Uh, but we are here, we're here in the present where we can like recognize the film. And, and, uh, I, I saw some other horror writers online complain that this is an offensive movie and it, it is. Yeah. It's problematic. It's offensive. It's not, uh, it's not a, uh, sensitive movie in terms of portraying certain, uh, maladies. Mm-hmm. But the movie exists and we, we are, but archeologists, we, we, there's no point in pretending the movie doesn't exist. We can yeah. talk about this thing. We are not putting money in the pockets of bad people by talking about this film. Yeah. It, it had its moment in the sun. I don't know that any, 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 any money that's going back to it is really funding anyone who, who's, I don't know. It's a complicated history with this motion picture. And because it also ties back to another one of your, 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 the movies that you hold dear to yourself because the original writers of uh, the Texas chainsaw massacre were also involved at the story level. That's the story. The yeah. Kim Hankel apparently had an uncredited story pass on this. I don't know why it would take, I mean, there's three people credited on screen with the story. And then if you throw Kim Hankel on top of that, I don't know why this took four people, but it's um, that's the rumor. But the other two are makeup effects artists, Stan yeah. Winston and Tom Berman. Now, yeah. Stan Winston, everyone knows, is the you know the guy who did like uh, the Iron Man suit and Aliens, and uh, Pumpkinhead was his his directorial debut. But he apparently had a story credit on this along with Tom Berman, who uh, came from like I believe a dynasty of makeup artists, and and he was like the guy who did the, the Paul Schrader Cat People and mm-hmm. a, a lot of a lot of uh, creature stuff in the eighties. Yeah, he was big. With, he was a big latex jockey, um, and uh, there's. I, the way I understand it from the way Berman tells it is that Hinkle had, had written a story that w- was the basic, um, uh, I don't know, the train tracks that you have this uh, mother, father, and this child in which they are raising in a cave and throwing raw meat to. Mm-hmm. And he meets with them and says, I don't think this is a, a real story. I don't, I don't know that there's, a lot of here, here. Yeah. And they threw up their hands and said, well, I don't know what to do with this either. And they all walk away. And some producer goes, just, I, I've got some money sunk in this. And I've, I've, someone is willing to pay for their son to direct it. So will you please just like make a movie out of it? And he creates a set of characters and it's kind of a Gothic thing. And he changes it a little bit, 
from the Texas Chainsaw, finding someplace in the middle of nowhere you're not supposed to be, into a psycho-like tale with the structure of what you would become a slasher, but it's made so early, it's there's there's not a lot of slasher tropes to it necessarily. Right. Yeah. And then you get the one, the only, Danny Steinman as director. And right. I'm not telling tales out of school because I've said this online before. This is far and away Danny Steinman's best movie. I wouldn't argue with that. I, I, I don't think it's his best third act because you also have Savage Street. But when you compare it to the, the way it looks, the way it moves, the way it acts, the way people are, some of these characters approach actual human beings. And it is a legitimate actor's piece. Yes. Where you have real actors being given interesting things to do and they're trying to make the most of it, baby. It's a <laughs> mm-hmm. dryer. Yeah. And that's what this kind of matches up for, for me. Oh, oh yeah. This, uh, the actress playing, um, the wife, uh, Leela Goldoni. Mm-hmm. She's just like, she's playing to the back of the, the theater. She's just really giving this 200%. Yes. Yeah. And she was, she comes from, she was in Cassavetti's first film. Yeah. Shadows. Yeah. And Sidney Lassick was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And Stephen mm-hmm. First was no, no slouch, although his credits weren't as deep. But I think that's the special sauce of this movie is, is this, this weird friction between like this ultimate professionalism of this cast and this really just porn, sla- uh, porn scuzzy DNA of like the creative team. Yeah. You know, it's something about that mix just creates a uh, uh, man. It's I, it's just so special to me. It's photographed really well. It's a nice it, looking film. Mm-hmm. It's a nice looking film. It's Steinman's best looking movie by a country mile. It's got it this weird sort of seventies haze to it. This, this yep. sort of mist that sort of is in a lot of Columbo episodes that I, that make that so comforting to watch is in this, and also, it's sleazy as fuck. So it's also <laughs> inherently Steinman-esque. Yes. Because he comes from a background of, of porn, whether it was hard or soft, people are a little iffy about it one way or the other. Right. But that was his filmmaking background. And then he comes into this and he's also horned his way into the writing process at some point. I don't know what his contribution is because a lot of people didn't enjoy working with him based on the interviews that I've read right. and seen. Uh, so, hey, listen, uh, not everyone's easy to work with. Also, you don't need to be an asshole. But that being said, he gets a bunch of money from his dad and says, I'm going to make this movie. And it seems to be right time, right place. And there's a weird conflation of elements with another movie. We kind of covered a little bit here on the show, Gina. And it's a little ditty called Friday the 13th. Right. When it comes to a certain point, you just feel of the, it's 1980, but everyone's making a 70s movie. It, that's really the the gloss, the the threads that go all the way through it. And on top of it, you just like Sidney Lassick in this movie is uh, every muscle when he went home for the day near his eyes must have been aching. <laughs> Because every part of his face is twitching like living hell throughout the entire thing. He's giving everything to every moment of this movie. Yeah, I I like the comparison to Psycho. I think that that's really present here. Um, 
Uh, Phil, was it in your, because I reread your, I, I had read your article before and I reread it after watching the movie the other day. Mm. Uh, was it, uh, it was it was yours that, um, that mentioned that he, that his character looks more like how Norman Bates is described in the book. That's correct. Yeah. Right, 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 right. That, that really, that really stuck with me and, and made a lot of sense. Yeah. And there's so much psycho DNA in there. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a corpse that, that's being conversed with uh, a, yeah. a, a parental corpse. There's, there's the peephole moment. There's, there's the uh, sort of a, a fet innkeeper who's got a secret and you're not sure what it is. And, and it's just, um, I don't know how much of that was intentional. Do you know what I mean? Cause in 1980, it's not like you're, you're popping into the video store and you've got psycho memorized, but mm-hmm. there's just some kind of weird bleed happening there. That I think is uh, is again part part of what makes it so fun is that it, it there's it borrows sort of this this classy structure of Psycho in service of, of a pretty skeezy uh, uh, twist reveal yeah you know because again and, again that's the other thing that I shared with Psycho is the, is the giant twist in the third act right exactly I, and the first time I saw this I had read your article to a certain point, but I didn't know where things were happening. Mm -hmm. And I had seen at some point the scene in which the, the first girl who's killed is dragged into uh, an air grate. Yeah. And this is after she's been uh, peeped on in a bathtub. And then it's kind of this reversal of the shower sequence where, Oh, she's out of the bathroom. Right. So now I think, she's safe because in psycho you would be killed in the bathroom, but then she comes to an air grate. This other thing that's in everyone's house that you don't think you would be killed near and no, you get dragged into it. And then I think it's just fused in my mind with my afternoon seventies viewing of, uh, 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 are you afraid of the dark or don't, mm, be, afraid don't, be, don't dark? be afraid of the dark. Yeah. Kim Darby don't be afraid of the dark. Um, which I saw while on vacation on Balboa Island um, on a <laughs> tiny television. And it's, it scared me to the point where uh, there was me before and there was me after watching that movie, <laughs> especially the ending, which not to give anything away, someone gets dragged into a grate this time in a, in a fireplace. And you know, it's, you know, it's funny, Patrick is, is when I was watching this the other day and mm-hmm. um, I had to watch, it is very hard to find currently. Um, and I had to watch it on daily motion. So it was interrupted about every two minutes or so uh, by commercials for a rehab center, which kind of added to the overall holy shit experience of watching sure. this. Yeah. Uh, but I had the, pretty much the same experience as you did that I, with the scene where she is dragged into the grate, I'm like, wait a minute, I've seen this. Yeah. But everything that came after that, I'm like, oh, wait, no, I've not seen this. <laughs> or, yeah. I've, or I blocked it out or I only saw that one part. So, yeah, I had the exact same experience you did. And you can, you, people at home might think, well, I'm getting a sense for the, what this movie is, but you're, you can cruise through this first hour and go, well, I don't, I don't know what's necessarily special about this. And then you hit that third act mm. and it's a whole other fucking movie. Yeah. Um, and I think he tried to do this and it kind of works better in Savage Streaks. And then it doesn't work at all in Friday the 13th, part five. Sorry, part five, apologists. That's just my opinion. But 
this is the movie where I think he, while he didn't agree with whatever was happening, because he he had his move, he had his name taken off the movie. Right. But ultimately, it's fucking successful at what it's attempting to do. And you know, you have to wonder if is is it a death of the author kind of thing? Because because can something go that off the rails in the third act and be completely on purpose? Did did they really, really mean to get it just the way they got it? Because there's the, the wrongness of the third act, I think, is what what makes it magic, magic for me. Um, yeah. And I don't know that Steinman had the skill set to like, like, you know, the, the, the painter's brushes to execute that in, in, the, in the nuanced way that it that it that it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't want to, like, take away his credit if it's if it's if it's something that he did. But to me, it seems almost. Um, unplannable, some of it. Some of that energy seems impossible to uh, orchestrate. I would agree with you. It's kind of that happy accident sort of deal. I would almost conflate it a little bit going again to this sort of everyone's trying to get a horror movie out in mm-hmm. this era and they can't all be watching each other's. Like they're all kind of, some of them are making them at the same time. Yeah. But you have Just Before Dawn, which also has this very slasher-esque, very, um, although it's a bit more like Deliverance in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it gets to this third act that, in which the, our final girl, and spoilers for Just Before Dawn, but there's no other way to put this. She shoves her entire forearm down a guy's throat. <laughs> and it's so audacious. It's so outrageous that from that moment on it kind of reaches a pinnacle it does the thing that only exploitation motion pictures can really do which is shock you out of your normal cinematic mode of kind of being comfortable in the skin of the movie and just going no i'm trying to be memorable thank you very much and doing (laughs) the most outrageous fucking thing you can see and sometimes it works. And I feel like with the unseen, it just, it's so wrong, it's right. Yeah. And, and in, in 2022, not to get on a soapbox, that feels um, almost endangered. Oh, we, yeah. We don't get that very much now. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I described this uh, to Patrick earlier as uh, it, it's a, it's a true, you couldn't make this now. That's, that's actually genuinely good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and because, because um, this is a side thing, maybe not to, to the place for it, but you know, hor- horror is becoming this macaroni and cheese comfort food where people go because it's their happy place and it's their safe place. And they're going to mm-hmm. go watch their eighties favorites and, and identify with the final girl and, and be empowered. But th- this is a, a ragged, Right, that that is not there to make you feel better about anything. Yes, right. And um, I I think I I have a, I have a hunch we're maybe going to turn back in that direction sooner than later because the well, the empowering, comforting horror shit is starting to kind of wear thin. I think in a certain way, when you look back too much, and listen. <laughs> I, I hate to break it to everybody, but Kill by Kill is kind of like a the the old man's movie report. We've always kind of been backwards looking, sure. but we, our main goal originally was to like look at a very vaunted 
and enjoyable series and look, just try to understand it piece by piece and see if they, they still held together. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, we had a lot of fun jokes to, to make about it all. Uh, but I feel like there's um, a push and a pull where to make to make this you have to you have to push beyond the bounds of good taste mm-hmm. but it's also artfully done enough that it it counterbalances that with a certain amount of skill yeah and for a long time there is that trauma-esque thing of just push it beyond taste to the point where we create our own level of taste and while that's not my thing at least it was a chosen aesthetic and now people are, I think, a little bit warped by cinema score and kind of what we do, which is picking apart movies, yeah. not because we feel they're wrong in that circumstance, but simply going, what was the motivation for this character to do like, this like one over, thing? Over, over-analyzing over stuff analyzing. That, doesn't, that doesn't really need to be overanalyzed. Exactly. And uh, we do it for fun here. Right. <laughs> and I think other people view that as legitimate criticism whereas i think ultimately what it comes down to and our feelings about this is that there are it might not be the greatest movie in the world but there's greatness within this movie because of what it attempts to do and how everyone's trying to do it and i don't know people get a little cinema score about it all yeah where if it if it jars them out of their normal wavelength they you can immediately view it as well i this is all trash whereas for the first 15 20 minutes of halloween kills i'm like am i falling in love am i gonna marry this movie (laughs) and i still hold on to that like Uh i like that portion of the movie was absolutely great to me yeah it lost me later on but there are worse sins sure and i think people are getting a little too fucking precious a little too binary about movies instead of you know and following in the great gina radcliffe tradition of it's fine <laughs> binary is a great word for it and and you know you so, something that i think about all the time in oscar season which we're in now is that are, are is the best acting editing cinematography music directing all in the same 10 movies you know isn't there a great performance in a kind of a piece of shit somewhere isn't mm-hmm. isn't there like great cinematography in a movie that didn't come together? The, the the way that it calcifies into like a handful of favorites, like senior superlatives, is frustrating to me. There's there's so much, like you said, greatness in movies that are not 100% successful, and and I I wish that we could sort of break out of the the uh, Rotten Tomatoes of it all to to kind of get you know. Uh, into into the the things that are worth discussing and picking apart, even in the films that aren't, you know, quote unquote, great films. Well, everything that, you know, what you both are saying, it makes, you know, so much sense. It can be summed up in when Patrick mentioned wanting to do this movie. And, you know, I I think I had seen it before, but I'd also read the the birth movies, death article. And I'm thinking, are you sure you want to cover that? Are you... (laughs) Are you really sure? Because I, I feel like that we that we fall still far enough, and we do pretty good ratings wise. But I still think we fall far enough under the radar that I don't think we're going to get any any you know any pushback 
for featuring this movie without, you know, heavily saying, well, this is terrible and they shouldn't have done this. And, you know, saying anything beyond, you know, well, the, the, the third act is offensive and yet the movie kind of works overall for what it's trying to do. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, I it was thinking it's like, is this going to be a problem for us? No, because, you know, people people can only get mad about things they already know about. It feels like these days. You know, for someone to get mad at you about this movie, they've got to listen to this podcast, then go chase down this movie and then go watch it and then come at you. And I think that that number is probably less than three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really bodes well for how this is going to go. Over. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe maybe there I think you've just got fans who like to hear what you have to say about stuff. But I, I think that um, if you picked a movie that was already problematic, that already had a big reputation then you're going to get the drive-by comments and whatnot. But this is a bit of a deep dive, still in all, no matter how many times Code Red puts it out on DVD. Um, this, this is not going to be a mainstream hit with anyone. Shudder is probably not running this one anytime soon. Yeah. But if we get 10 people to watch it, then I think that's cool. Yeah. I, I, wish, I wish this was on a place like Tubi, which is kind of a weird repository for yes. things that kind of fall through the cracks. <clears throat> the gray market. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As it were. Because like Mikey, uh, another insanely <laughs> problematic motion picture, but it turned out like there was this weird well of people who had caught Mikey at some point yeah. who all tuned into that particular episode. It did very well. And to me, this has those elements of, yeah, it's wrong, but it's also never purporting to be reality. It's, it never goes so far as to say, this is a reflection of life. It's like, here's this crazy fucking idea. Yeah. And we're just going to commit to it. We're all going to commit to it. And I think if you tried this a hundred times, 99 of them would not work. Mm. And there are plenty of people who are going to find this movie and go, that doesn't work for me. But you'll come out the other side appreciating all the effort it went into to trying to make it work for you. Right. So let us discuss um, the unseen in, in sort of uh, closer detail as, as we are often want to do here. And, of course, that starts um, with decorating. We love decorating on Kill by Kill. It tells us so much about the person who lives inside that domicile. And so my first question is, who fucking decorated this apartment with a statue of a homunculi? <laughs> well, isn't that foreshadowing? Isn't that essentially like Junior eventually? <laughs> I think it is meant to be Junior, but also the rest of the apartment seems to be a mix of badly sculpted uh, Heisman trophies, an Emmy, and rare antiquities from indigenous tribes that mm -hmm. should not be in this apartment. Yeah. They should be returned or like Indiana Jones says, they should be in a museum. Yeah. I feel like uh, it was a really, I mean, they really leaned in on those cutaways uh, of those statues. It was like, this is a woman of achievement and class and means. Yes. <laughs> You know, and here and, she and she's be. a Bond girl. Like this is yeah. this is the classiest woman you're ever going to see in a slasher movie, and she has the trophies to prove it. <laughs> she's a woman of refined taste. Yes, uh, her name is Jennifer. She's as you said, played by a former bo a Bond girl. She at that time, I think, it was just about to be the current Mrs. Ringo star, uh, Barbara Bach. Score. She is incredibly good looking, and she is also 
sick of Tony's shit. I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah. Tony, we, we've talked a lot about useless cops, but, ooh, we may have found one of the most useless boyfriends we've ever come across in this motion, in any of the films we've ever covered. He's a, a former or soon-to-be former NFL player with a knee injury, uh, probably from hauling around that chip on his shoulder. Hey. <laughs> Uh, Tony and Jennifer's apartment is in Westwood, California. That's near UCLA. It's near the Arrow Theater, which uh, we've covered on the show in both 10 to Midnight and Sleepwalkers. And who's also the former home of the National. That was the theater that was heavily featured in the 1974 promotional documentary for The Exorcist, which we get to watch a lot of cast members, or a lot of uh, audience members faint in the lobby. Love it. Love it. Uh, it is not there anymore. I believe it is now just another strip mall. But that was a hell of a fucking motion picture palace once upon a time. I believe I saw Greece there. So there's that. Um, it's on the other side of town. So didn't see it a lot. But we're not going to dwell about uh, Southern California locations. Let's head up the coast to Central California, up above Santa Barbara, because we are going to go to Solvang. For all your pancake, pea soup, and wine-related needs, visit Solvang. I, I do like that uh, Jennifer is a reporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is very, very in, intent on getting there in time to cover a story that, uh, for how important she makes it sound, it's maybe about, you know, political corruption or or <laughs> perhaps a a serial killer in town no yes. she's there to cover the parade yeah yes. but you know think about that like every every fluff package you see on the news that runs about 90 seconds or less that was someone's pain in the ass job for the day right <laughs> and and you know it, it, maybe this is some sort of commentary on the independent filmmaker uh, you know behind the, the film like it's he's he's just in the trenches trying to do the best job he can just like Jennifer, Jennifer, you know, any job worth doing is worth doing well, right? Yeah. So if, even if you're covering the shitty parade in Solvang, you got to take it seriously. Otherwise, you do not get a shelf full of Emmys. <laughs> That's right. Or at least a shelf with an Emmy. Which with is an Emmy, he yeah. Which to have. Yeah. Um, what if it was as, his Emmy? As well as he purports to have a Heisman <laughs> trophy that looks like the Michelin Man. I'm not sure that's how the Heisman really mm. looks to my mind i believe the heisman is brass looking not silver but i could be wrong about that i was i'm not a sports expert I was otherwise told, i would have a fucking sports yeah show. I, I didn't know this was a sports show i'm not prepared to discuss this <laughs> <laughs> this is for people who uh wheezed and could not play outside after four yeah p.m. so they go after you know scouting a couple of locations they go to their hotel turns out the business offices fuck them over. They don't have reservations. And every hotel in town is booked up for German Fest. So what are you going to do? Uh, both Jennifer and Karen and Vicky. And I'm not sure what Vicky's job is. Is she the sound person? I, she, I don't know what her job within this little camera crew is. But she doesn't do any of it because it turns out she's sick. I seem to think it was because that she was pregnant. Turns out another member of this crew is pregnant. We'll talk about that later. So this threesome starts searching for a place to stay. Why they blow past Welton is beyond me, but uh, (laughs) they go all the way up the 101 towards Los Alamos. And the weird thing is they end up at the 1880 Union. 
and you're saying to yourself, I don't know what the fuck that is. I don't. Well, is a little music video with Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney. Does that interest you? Wow. Perhaps? Okay. Would you like to say, say, say in that wow. music video that both of them are competing for, to romance Michael's sister? What? Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. So you've got some legit <laughs> geographical uh, context and history for this uh, movie. I, I weirdly enough, I do. Is we, it, does we, it, is it make sense? Like is where they drove to from Solvang? Is this all legit? Yes, you can. It's certainly a more populated area than it used to be because now all of this is the central coast wine hub mm. of California. So all, all these places are built out. The 1880 union is a real place. You can have your wedding there. Now, oh. uh, Kurt Russell, launched a wine from there. Is there anything more kill by kill than Kurt Russell launching wine? <laughs> I don't think so, but it's still there. The, the, the town's a lot more built out, but yeah, if you head up the one Oh one from there, okay. you're going to run into Los Alamos. It's not the first place you would go, but it, we've had movies that uh, have worse geography problems. I'm looking at you. Ten to midnight. I'm excited to go to solving, by the way, I just want to say this movie has, made it a lifelong itch for me. And I hope it's still like yeah, that. It's a beautiful town. It's so much. Listen, when you go, I'll let you know what local pancake house to go to okay. instead of the one in town. Okay. All the tourists go to that pancake place. Oh, you give me the good one. Give me the real. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, but we, luckily they go, she, uh, they find the 1880 uh, union, which is being masked as a different type of hotel here. And we run into Ernest Keller played by the one, the only, Sydney Lassick. Now, the last time we talked about Sydney on this show, he was getting dosed by a pot cheese pizza in Skate Town, USA. <laughs> yeah, and he was in Carrie. Yes. And uh, pretty much every other movie in the 1970s, always playing the same kind of character, this sort of weaselly, whiny character. He's a shady yes. uh, uh, pet store owner in Alligator. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> A little stay tuned for the home audience on Alligator. You're going to want to keep that in mind. Um, A nice piece of information that we get in the background here is that uh, Ernest is running a museum of his old father's uh, uh, hotel. The museum is open from Wednesday through Sunday, 1 to 4 p.m. How do I get these fucking hours? (laughs) That's like post office hours. (laughs) It's even better than post office hours. It's unbelievable. Like I, I, I got to get in on this mot, this motel hotel museum racket. Well, you, if you kill the boss, <laughs> you can true. make your own hours. Right. It's a family gig, and uh, well, he's killing off family left and right. And I know the audience is wondering, and I'm here to just calm you down. If you were hoping against hope that you does Barbara Bach have a butt. Don't worry, <laughs> Danny Steinman will make sure that he films it from every angle, <laughs> close up, far away, from the side. You know that butt by the end of this movie. It's uh, it, it is the male gaze. <laughs> I mean, Steinman's idea of how women operate is really, really odd. It doesn't so much happen here, but in his next two movies, he becomes under the delusion that when a woman is alone, she and runs into a mirror, she has to take off as many clothes as she has on in order just to see what she's doing. Like what's going on under the hood there. Just yeah. talking and to her, just talking to themselves the whole time. <laughs> just yippity yappity yippity yapping about are those boobs? What is my butt doing today? You see it all, but not so much in this movie. He's, he's evolving his voice 
But uh, once Jennifer, you know, lays down what the situation is, Ernest is there to help. And I think he's doing it with a phone that's not plugged in. And Jennifer just doesn't pick up on it. Certainly. <laughs> I mean, far be it for me to, to look for realism in the unseen because it's not really there to be found. But it does give the impression that that phone is not plugged in and has not worked for 35 years is, is what I'm going to venture. Yeah, he's about he's about a minute from doing that whole. Hold on, I'm gonna go check something downstairs. That kind of like walk where you pretend you're going downstairs. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, he has a solution for what the, their inability to find a motel room. Why don't you just come to my place? Uh, meet my wife Virginia. Now, when they get there, you might recognize this place because it was also seen in two major horror films. Um, Amityville, The Evil Escapes. What? And How to Make an American Quilt. Really? Wait, is Evil Escape, is that the one was the, the lamp? That's the lamp. No, yeah. really? I, I should, I've seen that movie like three times. How do I not recognize that house? <laughs> I think it does not look as pearly white as it does there, but it does <clears throat> look as pearly white in How to Make an American Quilt. I will put it that way. Steinman somehow accentuated the house's butt. <laughs> You should see the rack on that house. <laughs> and by rack, I mean closet. Um, you know, Ernest, while he's putting on this facade to bring these three outsiders into his home, which is a very delicate ecosystem. So I, I'm not sure what Ernest's motivation is other than hoping to catch one of them in the bathroom, I guess. But he is sweating like he's being cross-examined by Perry Mason. <laughs> oh my God. He he's like, he's just like Ted Stryker landed that plane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at certain points, sweat just squirts out of various pores <laughs> because the pressure built up underneath from him lying on top of lying on top of lie. He's not great at it, but for whatever reason, because they're all too tired or they just are welcoming the respite from driving or along the 101. They're like, fine, we'll take it. So Jennifer and Karen take off back to Solvang to film the piece while Vicky stays behind to take a bath, a known cure for people who are feeling ill. Yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of moisture, we also mm -hmm. see that, that, that Virginia cannot stop crying. Yes. She, she is, is constantly on the verge of tears throughout this entire movie. And when she isn't on the verge of tears, she is actively weeping. Yeah. Yes. And she She's letting the waterworks flow. She's on the edge. But no one else in the movie seems to view it as odd or off-putting. They're just like, that's Virginia, and walks away. <laughs> so whenever she's been suffering from all this time up till this point in the movie... No one seems to be paying in any sort of mind. It works. I wouldn't say Ernest Ernest is a, a criminal mastermind. It's just like no one else is fucking observing. Yeah. Well, very early on, they try to establish him as threatening to her. He's like, you wouldn't want me to become cross, would you? And you're like, mm -hmm. who on the other end of that phone is threatened by Sidney Lassick? And when you see her, you go, oh, it's a broken woman. Uh, oh, okay. She's completely <laughs> shattered. She's not allowed to talk to other human beings. <laughs> yes. Okay, I, I'm, I'm getting it. I get it. it now. And so- as you might imagine, once a woman in a Danny Steinman movie is alone, takes off all her clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Ernest, you know, being the guy that he is, decides, I'm going to take some blankets upstairs and look, peep on her through a, a hole in the keyhole. And like most keyholes, 
this one can pan across where the bathroom is <laughs> and lower the frame. <laughs> so you're always following the naked girl, no matter where she goes, you know, like keyframes do. Again, sure. we do not come to the unseen for, uh, for realism. But it's, you know, it's just science. That's the way they operate. And you think, oh, she's going to get it. Hurt. She doesn't. Meanwhile, in the barn, that's right, a Danny Steinman movie with a barn in it. I, I know that's also shocking everyone. <laughs> uh, Virginia goes in uh, to make some lunch. And uh, I had the uh, closed captions on. And in, once you get inside the barn, you start to hear uh, clucking from the chickens. Uh, the closed caption read, chickens ducking. Duck, ducking. <laughs> that autocorrect so, will get man. you every time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a barn of doom. Uh, and somebody ends up dead. Uh, two chickens. And, oh, if you were going to say, but we don't see a headless chicken, do you? Yeah, yeah, you you see a headless chicken. Yeah, in slow motion. The only way to see it, the grandeur. Danny doesn't want you to miss it. Listen, he saw, uh, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. He knows how to evoke the cinematic nature of <laughs> uh, the circle of life here, and yeah, he's, he's going to give like, it. He's to like, you this all. is my this is my apocalypse now moment. <laughs> and she's chopping As that the, chicken's head off. Maybe those chickens were ducking. <laughs> she goes to the bar. It's just start. They start ducking. It's like, oh and shit, sir. meanwhile up in the second floor of the house vicky is sleeping with her hands covering her collarbones for some reason (laughs) and is woken up by something we can't see something unseen Uh, and then we get about two minutes of her struggling to survive something we can't see we, we, she tries to make it outside the door that doesn't happen she tries to make it out the window uh-uh and then finally and i say finally as if this was the natural way this any movie would have gone she is dragged to an open air vent and pulled down inside until the point their struggle reaches an apex and the top of the grate i think maybe cracks her neck breaks her neck maybe yeah, I just I got the impression it just fell on her head or something. It seems to be a neck or head injury. I'm not. We don't see it happen. We just see the end result. But she's dead. Uh, sorry, if she was your favorite character, th- this movie is not going to feature her very much in an all-live <laughs> state from this moment on. Uh, meanwhile, Virginia prepares two boiled chickens and delivers them to a locked basement. I doubt this is a clue, so let's just move on. <laughs> Tony, the aforementioned Tony, shows up in Solvang. Uh, he's a, a real creeper. If I could boil down his argument to get Jennifer back, it might be, and tell me if you've heard this before, Gina, have you considered my penis? That's a, what an angle. I've never seen that before. <laughs> It works every single time. And to back it up, um, it, are, am I to in, infer by the last names in this movie that Jennifer and the uh, the other Karen are sisters? Yeah, I assume that and her sister can't push her back towards this this toxic relationship fast enough. I Who amongst us doesn't want to bang the second banana from the fall guy? <laughs> but... <laughs> and he he's hunkalicious, I guess, for 1980. I mean, this is as good as it kind of gets. But when he, he arrives, Jennifer looks at him and says, quote, 
beat up on any more women today. Yeah, that, that's, and that is never mentioned again. No. <laughs> Which to me, that would be whatever else is going on in, in their relationship. Uh-huh. That that seems to be, you know, everything else seems to should be taking second, you know, place <laughs> over that. Yeah, because I, 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 there's no there, there's not a lot of great connotations. There's several bad connotations to beat up on any more women today. Uh, I guess it's either that he's been consistently mean to her is the most generous rating or they're in a physically abusive relationship is the worst. I don't, I want to, I want to say he's just been mad and been lashing out at her, but I also don't want to excuse abuse because that's, I think what Karen's kind of doing when she's like, you got to get back with this guy. Come on. Where are you? How are you going to get any better than this? Yeah. Oh yeah. Her, her sister cannot, does not want to hear a single bad thing about this guy. So, and if you're wondering, all three women are like drop dead fucking gorgeous. It is again, another real big problem in Danny Simon <laughs> land. Like he's always picking out uh, uggos. It, the, these women are drop dead gorgeous. Karen, uh, who's the, the sister, the blonde sister and camera person uh, heads back to the Keller house. Meanwhile, Ernest is back at the hotel museum and it's time for a little thing we like to call Backstory by audio only flashback. The last scene with um, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Yes. We, <laughs> this was a time like this. This is when this existed. But I, I think, you know, to speak to what you were saying earlier, Phil, whether they meant to be a, a direct homage to Psycho or Psycho was so pervasive that it just lived in the back of everyone's mind rent free. And when they had the opportunity, to make a horror movie it just crept in the, the the cracks and crevices of their script it's very psycho forward yeah but but it, it um it doesn't feel like theft it doesn't it doesn't no. feel like uh pastiche or even cliche it coming when it does in the movie it, it sort of is surprising you know yeah. what I mean? Because well, you know he's weird. You just don't know what kind of weird he yeah, is. Yeah, we're just doing that. There's a trend lately now where a lot of protagonists who are not, uh, quote unquote, mentally ill will hallucinate in in horror movies. Mm-hmm. It's just a thing that we've started doing now where you're like, oh, yeah, this is your protagonist in your horror film. She's going to hallucinate this scene. And and it, it, it just, I don't know, like I went through a week where I think I saw five movies where the protagonist was hallucinating something. Um, and it, it's a weird thing that's gotten normal. But this, this movie is very naturalistic up to this point and now suddenly mm-hmm. that you're having he's having this scene with himself as Sidney Lassick you know career character actor who's got this spotlight is not going to waste it and he and he's just going for it the the eyes are wigging out like they're like it's a pneumatic mm-hmm. and a Disneyland figurine and there's an electrical problem he's like are you gonna be he's a, drinking animatronic he's sweating <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's uh he's playing against a cat <laughs> and we get this very long story which he's doing a one-sided <clears throat> monologue and but he we're also hearing his father talk you know and through a time tunnel and we get this scene in which we learn that Ernest uh has made some mistakes in life starting with uh, actively um, having sexual relations with his sister, quite possibly against her will, mm-hmm. also impregnating her, 
She eventually tells dad. He seems to take it well initially, but only because I think he's been looking forward to the punishment for that particular crime, which they allude to, and I'm assuming is castration. Right. Um, And of course, we're delivered this information while looking at a cat curling up in the lap of a mummified corpse. Right. And and it's worth pointing out that the voice, that guy didn't sort of get to look at the dailies. He's he's sort of doing like a Disney uh, villain <laughs> shopkeeper kind of kind of voice. Yeah. <laughs> that is not organic to the, anything else happening in this film. <laughs> right. He's the kind of person who, you know, withholds gruel from, you know, young orphans. Sort of yeah, thing. he's almost Dickensian. But in a way, if this is, if this is, uh, you know, Ernest's memory of his dad, you know, he's, he's the most unreliable of narrators. So maybe that's just how he remembers his dad's voice. There's also his dad's supposed actions, um, which are to pull down your pants. We're going to take care of this problem right away. Yeah. They end up in an audio only scuffle. And then it is revealed that the mummified corpse has a dagger in its throat. And I guess the way he covered up this crime was no one can go in this room anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to hide and lock this. <laughs> Which is a thing. It's the perfect crime, baby. It's a thing. <laughs> no one can figure it out. You know why? Because the police are only open Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> you know, <laughs> never come to this house ever. If no one's looking, yeah. like think about it. Buffalo Bill had that, the old woman who lived in that house in just sure. soaking in that bathtub, like slowly turning to liquid over the years. And that seemed to work out fine. And it really did. Yeah. Honestly, that's very, very true. I guess the only other question I have from this, uh, which is very pertinent to us being in Oscar season right now, is was Daddy Keller actually Bronco Henry? <laughs> There's no wrong answers, but there is one right answer, and we're not sure which one it is. Wait, there's no wrong answers, but there's only one right answer? I didn't make the rules, Gina. Okay, that's the way it works here. Okay, well, the freedom of speech. There's a, allow me to talk. There's a, I believe, a framed photo of the dad when when she first comes in and he's going to use use the fake phone to fake call for help. Um, yeah. and and it looks like one of those portraits that, like, if you walk like step sideways, it turns into a monster kind of thing. You know, those lenticular <laughs> something from the haunted, haunted mansion. mansion. Yeah, yes, sure. it looks very much like that. He's got a lot of grease paint happening, but. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe. It's like they cut back. It's like turned to Pennywise or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's snakes growing out of uh, out of her head. Yeah, it, it all makes perfect sense. So in the midst of this, uh, Virginia uh, finds Vicky's body. And as you can imagine, she takes it great. This is exactly she, how she wanted her afternoon to go. Spine of steel with this woman. <laughs> she crumples into a bathtub, but... When she's crumpled in the bathroom, wouldn't you know it, Karen comes home. And rather than warn Karen about any sort of danger, she's like, well, I can't do that. So Karen is, you would assume, going to find her friend's head sticking out of this HVAC, this (laughs) decorated HVAC vent. But no, she just manages to miss it and heads down to a very stained kitchen. I, the the kitchen is in disrepair in this home. She fumbles for an apple in this bowl. Course, in this bowl full of loose cherries. <laughs> we all have a bowl full of loose cherries. Listen, 
this is the thing about California. We're uh, America's, you know, uh, fruit and vegetable basket. This is what we offer the world. And when you're here, well, you get to partake as much as you want. So, yeah, sometimes you have a bowl of loose cherries hanging around, um, you know, unrefrigerated. And, of course, as she's picking these cherries now up off the floor, a bit of her scarf uh, falls into another vent, this time on the first floor. And... Lo and behold, something takes a hold of both sides of that scarf, and we have a battle of capes versus a uh, plane engine going on here, where she is slowly, and I do mean slowly, pulled down, then given, a, it's like how Quint brings the shark from Jaws in a little bit. <laughs> He's working on her. <laughs> the way they tell you to bring in a marlin slowly, so you, you work them out so they don't struggle as much, I guess. I don't know. I've never been commercial fishing. And <laughs> at a certain point, whatever's in the vent, the unseen, as it were, says, I'm sick of this, and just yanks and crushes her face into this grate. Yep. Doesn't fully do the job. She recovers a little bit, but that all that, again, he's, the unseen is just working that marlin, and he yanks down again, and I think she's done so from that moment on. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. A beautiful face, uh, torn asunder. And so the unseen two, uh, camera crew zero at this point. Just just taking just taking out that entire local news scene. <laughs> <laughs> and best not to think too deeply on Danny Steinman uh, mutilating beautiful women. Um, you know, casting them for for specific facial head and neck trauma. Uh, it's. Yeah. There's a lot going on there, but we don't need to, we don't need to get into it. No, I mean, listen, <laughs> there's nothing Freudian about Steinman's over. That's, that's for sure. Meanwhile, back in Solvang, we got, uh, we got Tony who's wistfully watching 12 year olds play football, wishing he could crush them all. Question for the group. What role, what, what, what was he a quarterback? Was he a tailback? Do we have any idea what position he played in football? Oh, I don't know. No, I know the, the, I th always assumed he was kind of a quarterback, but the, the one picture they have in their apartment is him kind of like rushing. So I'm wondering if he was kind of like a tailback or I don't fucking know. We just said, uh, we just I, said, this is not a sports show. I stopped watching the NFL eight years ago because I was sick of watching people entertain me with brain injuries and I haven't really looked back. So a lot of that information has left my brain at this point. Yeah, no, I, I have no idea. Meanwhile, Ernest is pretty chipper for a dude with two dead bodies in his house. And he's, you know, just quizzing Virginia as you do with the, with the clips from when you dry laundry outside hanging off his face. And she's kind of like at a certain point, like, uh, we have a problem. And that problem is a bunch of dead bodies in our house. Yeah, and he, he takes it really well. Yeah, hoops among us hasn't, you know, come home. You know, hi, honey, I'm home. Hey, there's a couple corpses in here. One of my favorite moments in all of the background of them in Solvang is when Tony's walking amongst the populace and we see one guy in a bikini top. <laughs> just one guy. <laughs> just one. Just one. You got to love background players, baby. Um, so we kind of crisscut between, you know, the two women who are emotionally on the edge and the two guys in their life who just won't fucking listen to them. In fact, if you were to put 
anything underneath this movie is the unseen colon, like the D- Doctor Strange and the and the Multiverse of Bandits. It would be the unseen. Shut up and listen to a woman for once. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, compared to Simon's other two movies, this might have been penned by Erica Zhang, for Christ's sake. <laughs> it's just... The amount of slasher-adjacent horror flicks that revolve around two different women and their right to choose is just not a booming genre we really think about. And yet, it we two in a row here, Jita, with He Knows You're Alone and The Unseen, like, they're actually taking on topics of the time, and everyone goes like, oh, get your politics out of my horror. Like, fucking, you're telling me Danny Steinman can talk about this, but we can't now? <laughs> fuck off <laughs> jesus christ of course i'm saying fuck off to this general nonsense dipshit on twitter whom i do not know and do not follow but i'm sure everyone has seen whoever that man is and it's undoubtedly a man yes when jennifer is having her conversation with tony she's you know speaking true facts here she is the person in this couple with an active career and he's got terrible form when it comes to working out with his knee he's taking his butt all the way off the bench oh my god that the way he's like he like looked like kind of like arching his back i was like that's not how you do that no not with a knee injury oh oh my god this is not the way you exercise a wounded knee and we'll learn why that's so vital later on but ultimately what it comes down to is they were kind of inching towards a marriage then she gets pregnant but she has decided no it is not the right time in our relationship to have a child and i'm it's my body my choice and i'm going to take care of this and he is very pissed off about it and that is a component in this very sleazy motion picture yeah speaking of which virginia's life is very harrowing she uh, is in a situation where she is trapped in a house by in an incestuous relationship with her brother she cannot get out of it she's given a uh, spoiler alert for the third act of this movie has given birth to the unseen and she can't talk to anybody about this and that's before we learn what the unseen is <laughs> yeah they don't really like they don't really go too much into what the rest of the town like in fact, they don't go into it all. Like he has no inter. They have neither of them have any interaction with anybody else from the town. It's no. just it's just strictly you know, which is because he runs a museum. So <laughs> yes. you would think that he would have some interaction with the people, and that you know there'd be there'd be rumors, or you know there'd be a crazy Ralph scene. It would be like, oh, don't go there. There's weird things happening up there, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But nothing. They're in complete no. isolation. It's weird because it's kind of being made at the same time as these other movies that will, while it doesn't like the fuse of the the slasher boom like Halloween does, but the aftermath is th- are things like Friday the Thirteenth and the unseen and he knows you're alone like everyone's trying to catch up to halloween at that point and so you have some crossover that's just unintentional like a friday the 13th third act rainstorm with Mm. the exact same library thunder noise (laughs) that's one of those things obviously they weren't borrowing because they're being made at the same time it's just yeah kismet it's like everyone's aiming for the same target. And so they kind of occupy some of the same space. 
Who made it to theaters first? Uh, that is a good question. Now, obviously, Friday the 13th uh, came out in June. So the Unseen mm. 1980 uh, got, This is something I just should have put That's in fine. I've already looked. September 12th, apparently. Yeah. So later so, that summer. Hot on the heels. Yeah. And yeah, they're they're pretty much filming at the same time. It's just that I think this this movie's post production was so tumultuous with Steinman walking off the film. That's probably its bigger delay. Mm. Otherwise, it, this probably would have been a July or August. I don't know. Release dates were weird. They just put out movies back then. They're just like ah, this can live forever. Just put it in theaters and it'll limp along for a year. <laughs> Good news. The Kellers have a creepy dog collection. If you were worried, of course they do. Of course they yeah. do. And I'm always amazed when I see a giant California basement. California, not a state known for a lot of basements. Usually, you're on a concrete slab, uh, but here, a gigantic basement. And you're going, well, why would I see that? A basement hasn't been a big part of this movie. Well, it sure as shit is now, because Ernest lures Jennifer down to the bottom, uh, so that he he kind of pulls a a Buffalo Bill, speaking of which, again, with the help me do this. And he's trying to connect these giant uh, air. T- I don't know what the fuck that is. She's holding on to a rope. He said, oh, this screw is too big. And then he goes upstairs, locks the door, puts on a record and goes. Done and done. All my problems are over. Why? Because she is going to run into the unseen down there. And the unseen just so happens to be Stephen first in crazy man, baby chunk makeup. <laughs> Not chunk sloth. Sloth. I'm sorry. I always, yeah. I always <laughs> mix those up too. <laughs> Aren't they this chunk and sloth sloth and chunk? They're, they're practically Tom. Two and Jerry. sides which of the same coin. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 uh, the phrase his his large son was coined because of Junior and his large Pepsi. adult son. Yes, he has large adult son. <laughs> this might be large adult son prime, really, when you think about mm-hmm. it. And again, Phil, to refer back to your article, um, you mentioned that uh, you're pretty sure that that uh, Edgar Wright had seen this because of. Uh, Nick Frost's appearance in the fake trailer Don't. Don't. Right. Yeah. And, and I 100% agree with you. That well, has to be where he got this from. Except Mr. Wright replied to me on Twitter assuring me he had not seen The Unseen. Uh, and, and he was moved to write this to me because he did, at, at, on that day, watch The Unseen, apparently. <laughs> and he couldn't believe the similarities, but he, he had not seen it until after I had written oh, that. That's that's wild. Okay. Um. I mean, and, you know, there's other, there's other traveling through the, the zeitgeist. <laughs> what was it? The, the baby, you know, is another, yeah. there, there were, Oh, sure. There are man children in horror, I guess. Yeah. Um, yes, I believe him, but he could, because he seemed pretty mm-hmm. fairly gobsmacked on the, on the ass end of just watching the unseen. He, he was like, wow, he, he couldn't, he couldn't, you know, it's like when you saw it, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, you can you can hear about it. It's like it's like riding a bike. I've I've done this metaphor before. You can read about riding a bike. You can watch other people riding a bike, but until you're up on that bike with your feet on the pedals and trying to propel forward yeah. while balancing, you don't know how to ride a fucking sure. bike. You can hear about the unseen. You can listen to us talk about it, but then you have to watch it and reckon with what you see with your own eyeballs. Yes. <laughs> 
there are a handful of movies like that. And they're, they're, they're gifts, aren't they? Yes. I mean, it's stuff that's so fucking outrageous. You can't believe that they really exist. And for a, a portion of this third act, it's just Barbara Bach, just like moving around, trying to find light bulbs that work. <laughs> and <laughs> she's just yelling through grates in rainstorms. And then, Finally, she passes by a trash pile and it starts to move. And you're like, what the fuck's in that trash pile? Movies flounder emerges with a bald cap on (laughs) and half an eyelid closed. (laughs) And a very large diaper. (laughs) A well-worn, a well-used diaper. Yeah, that that diaper has not been changed in a minute. Um, he's oh boy. I have to and, I have to I have to go back to my question that I often ask when we cover movies is imagine how that must have smelled. <laughs> how did she? Again, we're in that same weird situation here. How did she not a, smell a this? Jason Voorhees, <laughs> where you're like, how the fuck do you not smell that? Because. How can that sneak up on you? That stink has got to be emanating like the waves of filth, you know, and peanuts when the dirty peanut arrives everywhere he goes. I can't remember which peanut is dirty. Anyways. Sure. I'll take that your word dirty for it. peanut. <laughs> I didn't know what the fuck that's you were talking his, about. That's his, that, that's his name now, the, 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 that dirty peanut. Dirty Please, peanut. someone make some art where it's Stephen first <laughs> in his dirty diaper with stink lines coming off of him underneath the dirty peanut. <laughs> Again, why we have, we so far I was texting with Gina before we started. We already have like four full t-shirt ideas for this movie and none for final destination. It's just, there's something about this movie that just inspires whether you've seen it or not. Anyways, Barbara Bach sees what she's dealing with, immediately breaks her ankle, and then makes her way to uh, what appears to be an exit, but it's leaving. It's leading to one of those two barn door exits uh, from a basement, and she's trying to get out. And of course, she gets soaked because why not add a wet woman to the situation? I mean, she's it not just, wearing she's not wearing a t-shirt. She is like fully clothed. She is fully clothed, but she is also fully fucking wet now <laughs> for the last 20 minutes of this movie. That is when she's not rolling around in dirt. Barbara Bach is earning a paycheck here. Mm. Yeah, she's really she's really woken up, woken up at this point. Like for the yeah. first maybe like 45 minutes of the movie, she's not so great. But once she once she yeah. gets in that basement, you know, you know, she's full steam ahead. She's finally engaged with the material. Apparently, the big problem Steinman had with her in this was that he wanted someone to scream. And I think it's almost more effective that she can't fully scream. She has reached that point where her, her sanity has broken. And this is where it kind of connects with another movie that is in the background here uh, that will come out only one year later. And that is... Toby Hooper's The Fun House. Mm. This movie and The Fun House have a weird structural sense. Yeah. A, a weird vibe thing where it's a lot of dread. It doesn't move fast. There's not a high body count. But then it reaches the end. And your final girl, as it were, is pushed to the point where her mind goes broke. 
it just snaps in two and you're watching someone who's not really rationally thinking anymore. They're scared out of their fucking mind. And that's, uh, I think this is to say that it's like, I think Toby Hooper is one of the greatest movie makers, particularly for his ability to do that. You want me to tell you why I, I know that he directed uh, Poltergeist? Yeah. Because at the end of that movie, he has a woman whose sanity breaks on screen. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest with you, he is the guy who is able to do that consistently over and over again. Film people whose minds have snapped by what they have witnessed with their own eyes. That is a power that is a skill as unique as anything that Spielberg has. He has that. And you see it in Poltergeist. And here... This is as close to I, I've seen a contemporary manage to do that. Like he kind of pulls off a little Texas Chainsaw Massacre here. It's a great point about Toby Hooper. First of all, I haven't heard anybody illustrate that. And that's, I think you're really onto something there. That's, that's a nice well, smoking you. gun for poltergeist for all the poltergeist uh, conspiracy theorists. First of all. Yeah. I mean, listen, like Spielberg directed a lot of second unit stuff on that. He wasn't supposed to, you know, he was, he was trying to help out. There's, he wanted to direct it, but like he hired Hooper again and again after that. It's not like he was like, Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's fucking doing. He absolutely knew he knew what he was mm -hmm. doing, but there's all of Spielberg's guys on that movie because they've just finished ET and that's in post and like they have to do something. So they all move over to Poltergeist. I, it's, it, ooh, it makes me steam. It makes me steam. Interesting. Phil. No, this is great. This is a great point. And you're, and, okay. and you're right. That energy's in there. But if I can jump in for one second, because you just, when you said sure. Funhouse, you made me think of something else. Um, and, and you you certainly have a lot of your homework and, and your research there, so maybe you can shed some light on this. But so you've got you've got Leatherface in '74, a very clearly developmentally developmentally disabled killer, right? Yeah. For Halloween, he's evil. That's what's wrong with him. He's evil. Yeah. <laughs> sure. But now, when we get into 1980, with Funhouse, with the Unseen, with Jason Voorhees, suddenly we're back to what we would have called the R word back in the day. Why did we become so fixated on mentally handicapped killers in, in this, in this very short period of time? You know, I don't, I don't know why that is such a trope and it's, it weirdly like parallels with the revenge who done it half of the slasher villes. you know, your, your prom nights, your terror trains, your, uh, happy birth, our vaunted happy birthday, sure. day, in which the, these singular incidents break people, and then they have to kill. Uh, the other half are just pe are are just entities that, by hook or by crook, by circumstance, are are put into a place where their only outlet is violence. And I think there is an inability coming out of the seventies. For people to understand what it, why, what is taking hold in the society where killing has become a little bit more wholesale, I, I, my guess is there's a lot of Vietnam trauma wrapped up in this and a lot of disbelief at what has, quote unquote, become of society mm. is also there. And just ableism, just straight up fucking ableism. Yeah. If I if I could uh, give a, someone more uh, simplified answer to that, um, sure. I think it's also it's kind of terrifying uh, the idea 
which with a lot of people of uh, a, a strong, very strong person having the mind of a child and, mm-hmm. and not understanding how to quote unquote play properly. Or, you know, it sort of goes back to, is it uh, oh, Mice and Men, where he's, uh, where, where um, I think it says Lenny is the mentally challenged character. Right. And he, he's playing with an animal, but he accidentally kills it. And, and that's tragic, but also kind of horrifying at the same time. And you, there's, there's this need, well, he, you know, he needs to be you know, made to understand what he did was wrong. But at the same time, it's like, well, how, how can we make him understand that? He, you know, he has the mind of a six-year-old. And you just sort of apply that to a slasher movie. It's, you know, I'm terrified, but also this is kind of repulsive. But also, particularly here, it's very, it's played as very tragic, where yeah. you know, he was just this product of this unholy union, uh, you sort of you know kept out of kept you know kept away from society, treated like a monster, and it's not his fault. He didn't do anything, and I, I think that you get the idea that that he didn't mean to hurt these women. Right, that, that he's playing. He, you know, he's trying. Right, he's trying to get their attention. He's trying to play with her. There's like the scene where he's trying to give her this like this you know basically threadbare teddy bear he keeps like shoving it at her and she's you know but he keeps doing it harder and harder and harder but he's not trying to hurt her he's like hey i want you to play with this why aren't you playing with it and if you've ever you know spent time around a small child they don't know how to take no for an answer right and and it's cute when a little kid is kind of pushing something at you not so much cute when it's an adult who has got about you know nine inches and about good 100 pounds over uh, over you. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, something interesting is happening in this ending because he, he very quickly, and, and again, who knew that Danny Steinman had this in him, but your threat becomes a sympathetic character while the, while the quirky guy is revealed to be the, the main, the, the actual antagonist. Um, that's a weird pivot. And that's probably not that easy to pull off. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is all a, a tightrope act that is done so wildly that, like, a person, like, hooks their leg around the tightrope and swings around, you know, 360 degrees. Like, that That should not be possible. Yeah. And yet it, it does it. It's got this w- weird economy. Like, Gina, like you were saying, there's this moment where Junior is alternatively trying to swallow Jennifer's hair <laughs> and wear it on his head <laughs> to he, make her laugh. Yeah, he's playing with her. He's fooling around. Yeah is fucking wild and <laughs> it's just the performance that you're getting from steven first like again he is earning a paycheck here he is going he's he's th- it's not so much a dis uh, uh, a cat and mouse situation between him and jennifer it's more of a disco duck it's just a one long stretch of uncomfortable mouth noises uttered <laughs> over and over and over again Meanwhile, Sidney Lassick, a.k.a. Rick Dees, is upstairs just <laughs> trying to get it on with his sister. And you're like, what movie am I watching? Who am I rooting for? Who am I rooting against? And it, it's just, it just becomes this extended tension experiment where you're not sure who the exact threat is. And bringing it back to another film comparison, Phil, that you're intimately tied to, and that is the James Bond franchise. Because we have a main villain who really is Sidney Lassick's Ernest. 
And Junior is our physical villain. Mm. He's the henchman, he, so yes. to speak. Yes, he's our. He's not. He's not necessarily uh, Goldfinger. He, he's he's a guy who just happens to be very large and has a a, a sharp metal ring in his hat that he can take off the heads of statues. Oh, he's on. more. He's more like Jaws from Moonraker, where he's he's a threat and then he's an sure. ally. He's because he's going to, and he falls in love with a girl with braces because that all makes sense. He's got, she doesn't have braces. We're not going to get into the Mandela effect thing, are we? <laughs> Do, Dolly does not sure. have braces in Moonraker. Do, Dolly does not have braces in Moonraker. All right. Okay. Um, all right. okay. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, the series you got there because it means so much to you. I mean, this is a, a, a I think this is legitimately good about Great. it. Great. Um, so uh, after a while, Ernest just can't take it. He's got to come downstairs and see what's happening. Yeah. And so he kind of inserts himself in between Jennifer and Junior. And Junior's kind of like uh, immediate starts to kind of cower. And then when he sees that uh, Ernest kind of take off his belt and he's going to choke Jennifer, then he's like, I need to spring into action. And they have a tussle. And they're kind of going at it, you know, Junior, good old Uncle Dad, who will win in this trash pile? And then they, let's bring it back to Friday the 13th, another movie that has a long extended battle between two people who cannot fight. And we have another one here. The only thing I can compare it to, again, is Bella Lugosi versus the octopus and Bride of the Monster. It seems like one person is doing all the fighting and the other person's like, I've got a bad back. But at the end of it, um, we get some faux bites, mild tussles, a couple random slaps, one particularly soft headbutt. And then Ernest starts picking up balsa wood boards and breaking them over Junior. And at first it's all fun and games. And then... Ernest finds one with a nail in it and takes it to Junior's head and pour one out for Junior because he's never going to recover from this. Yeah. And you feel for him. Yeah. At that point, oh, this is sad. Poor Junior. He he, he didn't ask. None of the circumstances is something he signed up for. He literally didn't ask to be born. No, literally. None of us necessarily did, but he really didn't ask to be treated like this after the fucking fact. That is for goddamn sure. And Stephen first maximum effort in this third act of the movie. He is making an impression. Mm. 100%. Yeah. Um, And then, oh, I cannot believe we are going to, I'm really not, I don't want to talk about this movie longer than the movie actually exists. And yet here we are. But Jennifer crawls out of the basement because she's broken her ankle. She makes it to the barn of doom. Um, (laughs) Another barn of doom. Uh, Then, um, Ernest grabs a hatchet. He, I don't know why he doesn't go in for the kill. I, it's just, he's not fast about these things. He's old fashioned, but he sort of misses his opportunity to hatchet her to death. She makes it outside. And wouldn't you know it, everybody hope has arrived. Why? Yes. It's, oh fuck. It's Tony. I thought this was going to be good. (laughs) No, Tony's arrived. And that's right. The guy accused of beating up on women is here to save the day in, (laughs) It's slow motion, literal slow motion. If only his knee doesn't and give out. He's here. <laughs> oh, I really hope so. And it's not like they're telegraphing anything directly, giving a close up of the knee, knee as he runs in the <laughs> rain. Meanwhile, on his knee. 
<laughs> fucking snaps like a chicken bone. Just blows it's, right the hell out. I mean, it, I'm surprised he didn't have blood spray come out of it. The, <laughs> the noise this fucking thing makes when it snaps. It's like so. It's like somebody tearing a chicken, like a leg off a chicken. <laughs> just large cracks like the the snap of it it sends off a a, a concussive wave throughout the rain (laughs) and he goes down for the count you're like meanwhile barbara bach is literally crawling through the mud and ernest is slipping in the mud and you think oh boy these two are really gonna get it when ernest takes a full-on shotgun shot to the chest who did who's who saved the day? It was Virginia. Virginia has had enough of this shit. And she kills Ernest and walks back into the house, down into the basement, cradles Stephen mm-hmm. first. And then lo and behold, the best after movie credit that we've ever seen on this podcast appears. And I'm gonna read it word for word in case you haven't seen the movie. It says, in order, Stephen first was, quote, junior, unquote, Keller, captions, the unseen. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> I don't think there's any after better after movie credit we've ever covered on the movie. I, like I just this. want that on a shirt. <laughs> just, th- just those in, words. In that exact I don't even font. need the picture associated with it. It just doesn't get any better than that. I mean, that's, that's better than, you know, beginning credit introducing Stephen first <laughs> as the unseen, as yeah. junior, the unseen. Yeah. Enough with your fucking end with Stephen first. Like, no, 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 this is better. This is, this is better. It's all better. This is the best Danny Steinman movie. I don't want to hear anyone say anything different. Any final thoughts about the unseen? I, I mean, you know, the, the subject matter is definitely going to scare people away and that's understandable. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think that of a, it's a very interesting and surprisingly, I don't want to say sensitively handled because it's not, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think the, the turn into making it tragic rather than exploitative was, was interesting. Uh, if you want a really depressing double feature, that you know you might want to take a very long shower afterward. Uh, I would put this. I would pair this with the X Files episode Home, uh, mm. the one that the the legendarily horrifying episode that did not air for about another fifteen years after, right. after the after it aired for the first time. Uh, somewhat similar themes of. Uh, incest and uh, family so horrifically inbred that they had become literal monsters. Um, mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I think that if you want a, a, you know, a genuine, they couldn't make this anymore kind of horror movie, uh, this would be, this would be a good pick. It's, it's well-made. Uh, everybody in it is, you know, really, giving their all. I mean, you've got this, this dynamic with uh, Ernest in Virginia where, you know, you kind of forget they're actually brother and sister because they, they have a very classic, you know, abusive husband and wife sort of dynamic mm. that, that, you know, mm. kind of, you, you know, adds to the overall, uh, you know, luridness and creepiness of it. I just, I, I found it a very interesting, very watchable movie. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, Phil. 
you have the last oh. word. Well, you know, we talk about, uh, you hear a lot of, um, well, you know, Psycho's the precursor to the slasher film, and there's Psycho and Texas Chainsaw, and then there's the slasher era, but there's other weird little incest babies in the basement of cinema that sort of sit in between that, you know, on that timeline. And this is really one of them. And I think, you know, if you have an interest in, in the, the idea of slasher films or the, or, or the, the history and the, the sort of, a the, I keep saying archeology, span but like there, to me, it is, it's a dig. You, you go and you find this thing and you go, Oh, this piece, this is this dinosaur bone that fits in between this and this. And, and, I think mm. it's exciting in that regard because it's it's a piece of a continuum that not a lot of people know about. It's got slasher elements. It's got more classic Hitchcockian elements. The craft colliding with the uh, sleaze is maybe singular mm. for me. And um, and you're and you're watching just character actors who know that they've got a sandbox that they might never have again. Just take these big big swings, and it's so fun for that. It's a great combination of the high level, yes. right? You have the the high skill of the performers involved and they're giving their all and they're trying to make the best this they can possibly yep. get. And the film's just inherent DNA is incredibly sleazy. Mm-hmm. It just makes a very interesting film. Whereas a lot of people, you know, take swings at this and as they might be inspired to do. But very few films kind of crack the bat the way this one kind of does. Like you just have to give it up for what it is. Um, I just find it an incredibly interesting curio. And as the title implies, it's criminally underseen. And while it has been made available, you know, I think the copy that I picked up was out of print and I just managed to grab the last one yeah. that I had. I would love to see this bank. I would love to see this available to more people and those who, you know, are, are okay with making this kind of journey into it. Uh, I think they would get a lot out of it. It, it just, it's just, they, you, it's one of a kind mm-hmm. maybe. And yet it has subconsciously influenced so much that came after it, that it had to be seen by a certain amount of people at some point. Because its themes and elements in it erupt as if it is just floating in the zeitgeist and it's part and it just reaches down and, and people touch it and they don't even know it. It's it's wild. So before we go, of course, we have to play a little game. It's America's favorite. It's called Choose Your Own Death Venture. And that is where we decide of the deaths portrayed in this movie. If you're forced to die in one of them, which one would you choose and why? And of course, up for bid here, we have pulled into the basement from the second floor and maybe you got a broken neck or you could be decapitated by a hatchet and boiled for dinner. <laughs> yes, I'm counting the kitchens because they, the, the, I'm not counting the chickens because they actually died in this movie. Or you uh, can get stabbed in the throat by your son or your face is smashed into an air grate via scarf <laughs> or you can take a board and nail to the forehead or you can take a shotgun to the chest. Uh, and so, Phil, as our uh, returning guest, I choose you mm. to go first. You know, I I, uh, I don't like any of those. But um, <laughs> but if I got to go, Nor and I don't have a to. son, but, you know, there's something very Shakespearean about being killed by your own son. And uh, it's something yeah. regal about that. I'm going to pick that one. Okay. Uh, Gina, what say you? Uh, 
yeah, I don't like any of those either. They're 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 too <laughs> no. they're too prolonged. I mean, I think yeah. I think with me, if someone you were to hit me in the in the in the head with a board with a nail in it, I'd probably you know my lights would probably go out pretty fast. But just in case, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and take that shotgun blast to the chest. Yeah, that's quick. Uh, I mean, you have to do a lot of dastardly things before that happened. But it it it's so much better than being pulled into a grate, which I, I just. The way I feel about tight spaces, I'm just not getting near any of those. They, they just really sound bad. Um, but if I were stabbed in the throat by my son, at least I could live in that cool hotel for the rest of my life. And I get to hang out with that cat. I don't have to worry about <laughs> being say, allergic to it anymore. You, you got a kitty. I got a kitty friend, right? And all my memories surrounding me, all those great cobwebs. I, I think that's just the way to go. Um, so that pretty much does it folks. Our art here is done by Josh Hollis and the music by uh, revenge body. Um, Phil, where can people find you? And of course, where can people find the one and only Fangoria magazine? So they can put that in their own hands and read. Please keep me employed by my magazine. Uh, you can find us at Barnes and Noble, which is awesome now. And, and usually at a comic shop, but if you've got a Barnes and Noble near you, uh, and this episode is dropping late March. So middle of April, our new issue, issue 15, will be on stands in Barnes Noble and comic stores. Or you can just go to the website, finger.com and subscribe and get uh, exclusive covers and uh, all kinds of other goodies that way. And I think you've assembled a, a real just murderer's row over there, not to put this too literally. Mm. The people that you bring in, and the articles they write, the interviews you get. I, I think back to the great Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2 sure. article that came out last year that just meant so much to me. Oh, personally. that's good to hear. Um, yeah, that was a yeah, fun I, one. I think that's there. There's something like that for everyone. Every single issue. I think it is far. It's the... It's a magazine that I look forward to landing. And it doesn't feel so much like a magazine. It feels like a, a curated, uh, I don't know. It, it's great. I love what Fangoria has become because it's so personal and it's so richly written. And I think everyone involved in it is very into making it the best. Thing That's so uh, gratifying to hear. And I appreciate you saying that. And if only you could get Gina Radcliffe to write for you. That's what <laughs> you got my email. Send those pitches in. I do. I, I do have your email. Yeah, I do. <laughs> we're going to make this fucking happen because I write for TV, but Gina just writes. Okay. Gina, where can people find you on these here? Internet? I write about movies and television at the school.net. I will be covering by the time this goes up. I will cover some of South by Southwest's uh, online offerings, which is not many. Now that things are back to quote unquote normal, yeah. but I'll, uh, I'll do the best that I can. Uh, and I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram under Gina does things. Do it today. People check it out. You can find us, you know, on the socials and whatnot, come over to Patreon. We're talking, uh, we have a, a bonus for you every single month. This month is a listener's request and we covered uh, mosquito a classic creature feature and at the uh, coming up here at the end of March here, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite Halloween uh, six Halloween six. Um, <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> That's about all I remember about it. Uh, I'm sure it'll be it Paul Rudd. 
has Paul Rudd uh, at his squeakiest clean, uh, and he looks like a real baby doll, and we love to see it. I'm sure it'll be great. We're having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, thank you so much for all of your time and attention in this goofy manner. Don't worry, folks. The body count will, will continue. It's almost April. You know what happens in April? Animal attacks. That's right. It's a tradition now. Animal attacks April. We've got crocodiles. We've got uh, we got uh, sharks. Uh, we got some bats. We got some rats who are led by a bat. It's a whole fucking thing. Fun guess. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have a munch, munch, munch all the way through it. Uh, and we're so happy you're a part of it. Uh, the body count will continue for myself and for Phil. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.